A couple of weeks ago, we started a series. It's called Protect This Mess. And by now, you should know that when I talk about the mess, I'm talking about you. <laughs> I'm talking about me. I'm talking about our relationships. I'm talking about our community. And we're talking about, in the past few weeks, how we can protect this beautiful mess that we call community, this beautiful mess that we call the church that God has blessed us with and God has given to us to be in this kind of space. So um, we've been talking about it for a few weeks, and we have one more message. Next week is going to be the last one, and I'm going to preview that in a little bit. But let me give you guys a quick recap of what we've been talking about. The first message of the series, we talked about how we wanted to understand what Jesus meant when he said, I want my church to be like a family and how he understood family, how that's vastly different from the way we understand family and community. And I thought that was like a really um, really uh, eye-opening thing, message for me to even learn the way he viewed the, 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 the beautiful community that he planned to make in the church. Uh, then we talked about different things that are threats to community. So Pastor Jonathan, the second message, talked about how judgmentalism and judging people, and essentially, to use Jesus' language, when you see a speck in someone's eye, they become the speck, like everything about them is that flaw and how that is a threat to community. Then last week, uh, we talked about how gossip is a threat to our community. And, and here's a crazy thing, man. Like, I got a lot of great feedback, which is bad because that means a lot of people were like, oh, you got me. You got me, Pastor Chris. And I was like, dang, okay, all right. Good thing I talked about that, but I wish we didn't have so much gossiping. So hopefully we're moving past that and we're going past that. Um, next week, we're gonna end the series, which with what I had said last week, I think is the most important. Um, these are all really important, but I think next week might be the most important message of the series. We're gonna talk about how we're gonna protect this mess, protect this community, protect this church by protecting families by protecting family. So next week we're gonna talk about family and how we can have healthy familial relationships and that is so key for the health of a church as well. So that's next week as we conclude. Um, today, we're gonna to talk about we're gonna talk about a couple different things that I think are so, so important and it has to do with we need to protect our community from a lack of commitment, uh, a lack of commitment. So we're gonna get into this message and um, we're going to invite God to be with us as we speak and as we, we listen to this word and hope that he's going to do a work in us today because it's going to be tough. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, so much for each person in this room. And I thank you, Lord, for the way you've been working in our community for these past few weeks. Lord, um, I give this message to you. I pray, God, that we would hear your voice, not mine, Father, and that you would challenge us, Lord. Uh, give us an awareness of the reality of community and give us the commitment and strength to to move past it so that we can experience what you want us to experience. In your name we pray, amen. What's the first picture of community that we see in the Bible? I want you guys to think about that question. Where, what is the first picture of community in the Bible? So it's probably in Genesis, right? Like somewhere in the beginning. And maybe you're thinking, oh, it's probably Adam and Eve, the first married couple. That's probably the first picture of community. If you think that, you would be wrong. That is not the first picture of community that we see in the Bible. It actually is in Genesis chapter 1, yes, like the story of the creation in Adam and Eve, but the first picture of community is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God is creating, and this is what he says. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Did you see it? 
Did you see the picture of community? Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. If you didn't know anything about the Bible and you read this for the first time, you would see a plurality here. And it says us, our, because that's how it's actually written. The Hebrew words here are written in the first person plural. So that's we, us. The very first picture of community that we see in the Bible is in God himself. God in himself is community. That's wild. God in himself is relationship. So the thing is, the reason why you and I are relational people, I mean, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert and you like to spend time by yourself reading, you still are a relational person, aren't you? Or if you're an extrovert, you know you're a relational. Do you know the why we're that way? We are that way because we are made in the image of God who is, in his nature, relational. Because in him there is community. What we as believers and Christians call the Trinity or the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And from the very first page of the Bible, that's put out there. God in his nature is community. God in his nature is relationship. And so this is really important for us to understand as we think about the community of believers, people who are made in his image, who acknowledge that and have made a decision to follow him, what does that corporately, community-wise look like when God is that kind of a God? This is really, really important for us to understand, that we understand the relational dynamic in the Godhead, right? If you, how could you describe the relationship between God the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How would you describe that relationship? There's only a handful of verses or, or, or scenes in the Bible where the, the three persons of the Godhead are really clearly laid out. And I want to look at one of those stories. And by looking at that story and a couple of verses associated with that, we're going to see the relational dynamic between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to warn you, it's not going to blow your mind. It's going to be something you're like, okay, like I knew that. But we're going to talk a little bit about why it's really special. So one of the occurrences where we see all three persons of the Godhead is in the baptism of Jesus. So let's look at the story in Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and, you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, Jesus the Son, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven, we can assume is the Father, said, this is my Son. That's how we know it's the Father because he says, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. All three people make an appearance in this story. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. We don't see this very often. But they all show up and they have this moment, this very touching, special moment between Father, Son, and spirit. And the father says to the son, honestly, it's the words that every child wants to hear, right? I love you and I'm proud of you. By the way, quick aside, if you haven't said that to your kids lately, tell them today, okay? Tell them today or give a few days so they, after they forget this sermon, you can tell them. And they're like, I, I forgot Pastor Chris said that. And it could be totally you. So in a couple of days, tell your kids, hey, I love you and I'm proud of you, man. That's important, okay? So God shows us that. He does that. That's the first thing he does. I love you, 
and I'm proud of you. The Spirit falls on him as a sign of approval. And this is what we see, kind of the relationship working between Father, Son, and Spirit. Later, later on in Jesus' ministry, as he goes to the cross, he says some really, really important things that we need to understand as he thinks about going to the cross. In John chapter 14, he says, I will do whatever the Father requires, and that's going to the cross and dying for our sins and suffering, right? He says, I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I, what? Love the Father. Come, let's be going. Everyone needs to know that the way I feel about my Father, I love him. And in Matthew chapter three, he said he loves me and he's proud of me. And just a few verses later, when he, Jesus is teaching, one of the most powerful teachings that he, he taught to his disciples in John chapter 15, where he talks about abiding in him, and it's like not about all the things you thought, it's about abiding in me, and apart from me, you can do nothing. He says this in John chapter 15, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Right, in this moment where Jesus is going to do and experience the unthinkable pain and suffering, he is encouraged because he's saying, I love my father. So this is the scenario. I'm going to do something that I don't want to do that is extremely painful. I'm going to suffer on the cross because my father loves us. My father loves you guys, and I'm doing it because I love him, but also I'm doing it because I love you too. Right, like, there's a lot of love going on, right? There's a lot of love right there. That sounds really, really nice. So if you were to give one word to describe the relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit, what is it? It's love. I told you, it's not going to blow your mind, right? Like, if you grew up in the church, you're like, oh, I knew that, right? Like, God is love. But let's think about that for a second. The relational, the primary relational dynamic between Father, Son, and Spirit is Love, And we think, yes, because God is love. But have you ever wondered why God can make that claim? And why you can't? Right, like, because I know you guys. And you guys are loving people. You guys are fantastic people. You are so kind. You are so loving. But you're not love. And no one would ever say that, right? Don't, don't ever say that. Your, your grandmother, your mom, so loving. My mom... I think she's watching. She's so loving. My dad, so loving. Your grandmother, your grandfather, so loving. But they are not love. But God says, I'm not just loving, I am love. You see, the only reason why God can say he is love is because he is in his nature community. If God was a solitary being, he could not say that. Because how can you be love if you have no one to love? The claim is an empty claim. God can only say that he is love because in himself there is relationship and community and love. It's kind of like, I don't know if you had this experience, but before you got married, like you thought you were a pretty decent person. And you thought like, you know, I'm, I, got, I, I know what I'm doing. I got a good head on my shoulders. And then you got married. And you're like, and then someone entered your life to basically tell you you're not a good person and you don't have your head on your shoulders, you're not clean, you're not a good cook, 
Right? It's like that experience where you thought you were one thing, but it's because you weren't in a relationship yet, and that revealed so much more about you. It's also like how I thought I was a patient person until I had children. You know? Yeah, fine. I'm a youth, I was a youth pastor. I worked with kids, crazy kids all the time. I go to camps, five days in the mission field, doing all these crazy things, kids being all crazy. And I'm like, keep my cool, love on these kids, share the love of Jesus with them. I'm a patient person. And then my kids were born, and then I felt things that I've never felt before, right? I, I like experienced dark, dark things in my heart. I thought things I never thought I would think until I had children, right? You can say all you want about yourself when you're alone, but it's only until you are in community that you can really be what you are. God could not say he is love if he was a solitary being. His very nature is community. That's why he can say, I am love. So this is really, really important for us because we are trying to be a community that follows that God. And if that is the case, this whole thing about our mission statement, what we talked about a lot, right? We exist to connect people to, the first thing is what? A loving community. If that's the case, and this is how God is, then to be a loving community is a moral mandate. It is not an option to be a loving community. And we don't say it because it sounds nice. And yeah, churches should be loving and kind. Yes, we know that, but it's not simply that. This is who God is, then we must be like that also. It is a moral mandate. It is a moral command, a moral imperative that this mess love each other. And on the other side of that, I'm going to say it in even stronger words. Then to not love corporately is a corporate sin. In our community, if we are unable to love one another, then we all sin together in that. And that is something we need to repent of. To not love, to be unloving is a sin, is a corporate community sin. You see, the community of the church is supposed to be modeled after the community of the Godhead. The way we interact with each other, our relationships, the way this works, it's supposed to be modeled after the way God works. The relationships between one another here are supposed to be like the relationships between father, son, and spirit. That's a tall order. That's like a really, really high standard. But he is the one that we're supposed to model our church after. The Apostle Paul, one of the church, the church expert, right, who, who, who started more churches than like anyone in the first century. Listen to what he says about how the church needs to work. In Colossians chapter 1, he's talking about Jesus. He says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the head of the church. We're the body, so we are supposed to do what the head says, Right? That's how it works. Your body follows the lead and the example and the desire and the will of the head. He is the head, so our community must be modeled after him. That's why we must love one another. You know, we hear that all the time. The Apostle Paul says, love one another, do all these things to one another. Why? Because we're supposed to be modeled after the God who is love and in himself is relational, in himself is love. Father, Son, and Spirit loving on each other all the time. That is why we are then called to love one another.
We are supposed to be modeled after him. So what does it mean when we don't? What does it mean when we, we, we are unloving and unkind? What, what does it mean when we don't do that? What does it mean as a community when we are not a loving community? What do you call it when the head wants to do something but the body doesn't respond? What do you call it when the head wants to, to move the body but the body doesn't? What do you call that? You call that paralysis. You call that paralysis. When we are unloving, we paralyze the body. When we are unkind, when we gossip like we talked about last week, when we judge like we talked about last week, when we are apathetic about other people's pains, and when we don't care, when we exclude, when we do those things that are unloving, when we judge, when we assume, when we blame, when we criticize, when we hurt, we paralyze the body. We cease to make Jesus the head. And we put ourselves as the head. Like this is serious business. We are supposed to be modeled after the community of God. And so it's so important that we understand this is kind of the mandate. This is why we're trying to be a loving community. It's not because we want to have more people in this church. It's not because we want to make people feel because that is what it means to be a faithful church. To do what the head has called us to do. In this time, in this day and age, especially this, what I'm going to say next is really, really important. In the church, we are not called to be like-minded. We are called to be love-minded. Let me say that one more time. In the church, we're not called to be like-minded. We're called to be love-minded. In other words, in this community, we're not here because we all think the same. And we're not called to make everyone think like us and be like us and talk like us and act like us and sound like us. We're not trying to be like-minded. Now, like-mindedness is good, right? That's why you have friends. Your friends are people who are like-minded with you. That's an important thing, but that's not what we need for a community. We're not called to be like-minded. We're called to be love-minded. And that's why the church is supposed to be a special place. Because where else in the world? There's only two places in the world where you can belong and loved even if you are completely not like-minded. The first is the church. The second is your family. Isn't it? Those are the two places where we can assume that even if I don't agree, and even if I'm different, and even if I think different, even if I act different, I will be accepted and loved. It's church and family. And it's interesting that when Jesus looked at the two, they were one and the same thing. We are called to be love-minded people. And so I want to get really practical I want to get really practical about what this looks like to be one aspect of being a very love-minded community, okay? Um, When when you enter into community, when you enter into relationships, when you enter into friendships or, you know, enter into a social group, what you have to understand is there's these things called the stages of community. And um, I I heard about this from a book called The Emotionally Healthy Church. It's written by a pastor, I think, in New York. And he was talking about his, his church and his church experience was going really well, but they found that they lacked community and lacked depth. And he said that in community, there are these stages of community that we all go through. And so I want to lay them out real quick for you guys. And as, you, as, you, as we go through these, you're going to notice like, oh yeah, I remember that. Or, oh yeah, I'm in that. Maybe not just in the church, but this applies to all relationships really. 
Okay, so we're gonna get real practical here. So in the stages of community, the first stage is what they call honeymoon. It's when you enter into a new community and you're like, this is awesome, right? Like, this is great, right? Like, these people are so cool. These people are so friendly. And maybe you, you remember that experience when you, when you came to the church. You're like, wow, this is really great. And you have this, like, emotional reaction. Like, I feel good coming here. Like, people are so nice. I feel very refreshed, you know? And, and you don't really know people, but you just had a really positive experience. And it's very life-giving, and it's awesome, right? And so you're in this honeymoon stage. And obviously, you have this with, you know, uh, 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 romantic relationships, with friendships. Like, yo, I just met this guy, and he's so cool. Right, like we both do these things, and he's so fun. And I, man, I want to be friends with that guy, or I want to be friends with that girl. Like that, that expects the honeymoon stage. Now, if you exist in honeymoon stage for long enough, inevitably, and this is important, inevitably you will reach the second stage, and that second stage is called apathy, where it was really exciting, and then now it just is, right? Like. That's just life now. And you kind of lose the emotional high and the emotional joy from those experiences, right? It's not as exciting anymore because you've been here a lot. And so it's like, okay, yeah, like, it's cool. It's cool. It's fine, right? Like, it's, it's nice. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I still like it. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. You know? It's that, it's that kind of like, it's not so special. It's not horrible, but it's just, it just is. It just is. And that's okay, right? That's okay because that happens. And it happens in marriages. That happens in friendships where it's just is. Now, if you go in apathy for long enough, what's going to happen? Because you get comfortable in apathy. You get comfortable. So what happens is then actually you start being, actually being yourself. And stuff starts to come up. And then people, like, they know you now and they're not on their best behavior anymore. Guys, you guys know that, right? Like, Sabbath, everyone's on their best behavior. Potluck, everyone's on the best behavior. Let's be real, okay? Changes. And then people, who they are, start really creeping up, and then you enter into a stage called frustration. Because you start realizing, wait, 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 I thought this person was this way, but they're not really that way. And, And you start being open and honest, and then people start responding to you differently because you're actually being yourself now. And then you start to realize that we're not so like minded. I thought we were like minded, and that's why I came here, but we're not so like minded. And people start to rub you the wrong way. You sit at potluck and you're like, yo, that guy keeps eating with his mouth open and it's like so loud and I don't want to sit here anymore. Or like, man, I go go to church and I talk to that person and they talk about the same thing all the time and I don't know when they're going to stop. You know, like that's, there's that experience, right? And so you start to really get to know people and it's not as joyful and fun as it used to be. And then maybe people start talking about some real stuff and you start feeling uncomfortable. And you're like, oh, I don't know you like that, man. Like, we're not there in our relationship, but you kind of took it. You kind of jumped the gun and like, I feel uncomfortable. And now I feel like I have to kind of open up. But I don't really want to because I don't trust you. I don't trust people, right? Like, it's that weird phase of those relationships. It's uncomfortable and awkward and weird and you don't like it. Now, if you get through that and you can push through that, you enter into a stage called acceptance. Acceptance. And acceptance is you're sitting at the potluck table and you're like, he's still eating with his mouth open. But he's a good guy. Like, that's fine. That's what he does. Maybe his mom didn't teach him. Like, maybe something's wrong with his mouth. You know, it's fine. It's okay. I can just look this way. You know what I mean? It's that moment where those things that were frustrating for you, you begin to just simply 
except this is just who they are, and, and I'm okay with that. And, and I, we agree to disagree. We think about things differently, but it's cool. It's cool. I love you. You love me. You're a good person. You're a good dad. You're a good mom. I respect you for these, and I, maybe I don't respect you in these areas, but I respect you in other ways. You are a child of God. Like, I love you, and, and we're cool. And then you enter into this fifth phase, which is re-engagement, where you Enter back into the relationship, back into the community in your mind and in your heart because you were always there, but you re-engage mentally and you, you re-enter into the community without the kind of uh, the misgivings from before, without the kind of naivety from the first stage, and you know who people are and people who know who you are, and then you love one another. Right, like that's, these are the stages that we go through in community. I'm talking about this for two reasons. The first reason I'm talking about this is because it's important that you all, we all know like the flow of community. That when you entered here and you entered into this relationship and you came to the church or whatever and it was really great and exciting and you hit apathy and then you hit frustration, that's normal. That's part of the community process. That will always happen. It's not always going to be honeymoon forever. You're going to enter into apathy and that's okay. That's a part of human life. And you're going to enter into frustration because that means people are being honest with you and you are being honest with them. You're going to go there. It's important. It's a part of the process. And I want us to understand that if you're new here, if you're newer to this church, you're going to go through these processes. It doesn't mean it's a bad church, a bad community, or bad people. It just is life. This is how relationship works. Human sinful relationships, this is how it works. And if you've grown up here and you've been in this church for a long time, what you notice is you probably went through this a couple times. You probably went through this process many times where you were frustrated for whatever reason and then you accepted, re-engaged, and it was great and it was wonderful and then it got kind of normal and then something happened and you got frustrated and you were hurt and disappointed but then you accepted and you loved and you re-engaged, right? Like we kind of go through this multiple times as you become deeper as a part of community. But the second reason is the more important reasons why I'm sharing this with you. Because what these stages represent is the flow and the process for us to get to what we're calling a loving community. Okay, this is the map. This is the map of how we go from a, any regular community that is superficial and how do we get to a deep, meaningful, Christ-centered, loving community. This is the map. These are the stages that we have to go through in order for us, all of us, to create this church and to make it a loving community. And it's all, all something that we all must do and be aware of. We need to get through these stages. So here's my question. I want you to think about this. In which of these stages do you think a genuine loving community is expressed and experienced? In stage one, honeymoon, apathy, frustration, acceptance, re-engagement. Among those stages, where do you think a real, genuine, loving community is expressed and shown and also experienced and received? Maybe stage one? Maybe stage one because, you know, you could, you could argue stage one is really, really important. I know it's like a honeymoon and I kind of like said it just feels good. But like it's that experience where people don't even know you and they're so kind to you. Like that's pretty loving, right? Like you don't even know my deal. You don't know where I come from. I look differently than you and I sound differently than you. But, and we don't have any relationship. But like, dude, you're sitting with me and, and you're eating together and you're talking with me. Like that's fantastic. Like, and, and that's awesome, right? Like stage one is really, really important. And I love stage one. And, and we work very hard as a church to make sure that we have that experience for anyone who walks through these doors, that at stage one, they meet, meet people that they never met before, and they feel loved and accepted. That's so, so important. But genuine love, that genuine loving community, it's not found in stage one. 
And you probably already knew that because you're smart. And you knew that genuine loving community is in stage four and stage five. You knew that, right? Like you knew that's where you really experience love when it's honest and real and you work past all the weird, awkward conversations and you begin to actually know people and they begin to actually know you and then that's when you accept and love one another. You know that's where genuine love is. That's where we really experience that loving community. That's where we really experience God working on our lives in the crucible of relationships. When things are not so good. When people said things that rub you the wrong way and they said things that, that concern you and worry you and you don't know what to do or you don't know how to deal with it and you have this conversation and it's like, oh, why are we talking about this? And you kind of stumble over your words because you don't even know how to talk about it because you don't want to make them feel bad. Right? It's like that experience and what you come out of, that's when we experience the genuine loving community. Stage one is awesome. I love it and it's so important. But the real community that we're trying to build is discovered, experienced, and expressed in, that, in those later stages. The problem is most people leave where? Stage three. It's when you get to a point where the emotions are gone, it no longer feels so special, it just is, and it starts getting annoying, and people start annoying you. You're like, maybe let's get out of here. Maybe this is not really the church for us. Like, these people, they're not the same as, as they were when I first met them. Maybe we should leave. Maybe we should bail in this moment. That's when people leave. And what's sad is it's right after that, that's when God really does the good stuff in our lives. Right? It's after that moment, after that season when we're feeling maybe disconnected or disappointed or angry or hurt in some ways that we begin to experience the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And he starts showing us, hey, 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 what's this, what's this? What's, what's this that you got in there that's making you feel this way about this community? And he starts bringing things up and he starts showing you things about yourself because you thought you were a good person. But you were a good person until you met someone who was different than you. And he starts to show you your assumptions. And he starts to show you your baggage. And he starts to show you these things in you that you didn't know were in you. And he begins to work on you. And then in relationship, people encourage you and accept you. Even they, they know that you're messed up. And in that moment, you're like, okay, I can see why Chris called this place a mess. It is a mess. But it's kind of beautiful because we're all a mess together. And we understand that about each other and we still love one another. And we do all those things that Paul talked about like bear with one another and forgive one another and accept one another. We're starting to learn to do those things and God is working on my heart. That happens after stage three. It happens in four and it happens in five. And you know some people to be honest, they don't leave in stage three but they, they, they just kind of mentally check out. You know, they may not leave the space. They may be here in the building and here in the room, but there are people who, when they have those experiences, they just kind of check out mentally and they just kind of show up because their kids, because kids need to come here and, and they have nothing else to do or, you know, they're kind of your friends here. It's kind of tradition. It's kind of ritual, whatever, right? But, but people check out in stage three, but it's in four and five, man. That's when, like, we begin to really, really, really grow. And so what I simply want you guys to understand, it's a real, real simple truth, that as a general rule in community, the people who stay are the people who grow. The people who are committed 
are the people who grow. The people who are engaged are the people who grow. The, who, the people who are a part of it and, and, and it really are, 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 are intentionally a part of the community, those are the people who grow. You can be in this church for a long time at a distance and never grow at all. But if you want to grow, as a person, as a Christian, spiritually, in your love for one another, you gotta stay. You gotta engage. You gotta commit. Like that's how we can create a loving, loving community. Right? That's how we are to love, love one another in, in, in a long-lasting kind of way. Like one of the aspects of God's love that we don't really talk about, right? We talk about, you know, I think, I think we talk about God's love and his intensity, right? Like, and his sacrifice and what he was willing to do for us. But one of the most amazing things about God's love is its permanence. God's love, listen to this, God's love for you is permanent. God's love for you is permanent, unchanging. Right, that's something really, really special when I think about love and, and God's love that we don't really talk about. And, and we get this. like We get and we understand that long-lasting love is so beautiful, isn't it? Right, that's why, if you're like me, you love to watch Instagram videos of elderly couples holding hands. Isn't that the sweetest thing ever? Why, when you see these elderly couples holding hands or when they dance together like super slow... It's so beautiful and it like makes you want to cry. No, am I just the only one, you insensitive people? Like what's wrong with your hearts, guys? Man, like it's so beautiful when I see that. It's like so, so amazing because we understand the beauty of long-lasting, permanent love. Here's the thing. You guys are great people. You are wonderful people. You are kind people. I'm pretty sure that every single one of you can love like Jesus for a day, Right? You can love like Jesus for a single day. For 24 hours, most of you, most of you can love like Jesus for a day. You can be self-sacrificing. You can be completely about the other person. You can be completely generous for a, to a person for one day. Absolutely. I believe all of you guys can do that. Most of you could do it for a week. Some of you can do it for a month. Very few of us can do it for like a year or two, and I'm pretty sure none of us can love like Jesus over a lifetime. There is something amazing and beautiful and powerful about the endurance of God's love. And this is why it's so important. If we are trying to be a loving community, we need to be able to learn to love with a long-lasting love. That's why we need to stay. That's why we need to be engaged with all of our issues, with all of our problems. We need to know the real you, guys. You need to know the real us, and we need to know the real you. We need to know your issues, we need to know your hang-ups, and you need to know ours. Only then are we going to learn to be an actual loving community. Yes, we can be super kind at Pollock, super kind at church when you show up, but if you really want to be this genuine loving community, it requires time and endurance. It requires us willing to stay and connect and engage because this is the love that the Father has shown to each and every one of us. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Even before he made the world, even before he made the world, it's like, let this sink in, guys. God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. 
God decided in advance, before you sinned, before you were born, before your mistakes, to adopt us into his own family by bringing himself to us through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Isn't that so, so beautiful? That's the kind of love God has shown you and me. And if we are trying to be a community, even if it's a messy community that wants to be loving like our Heavenly Father, this is the kind of love we need to experience here. A long-lasting love that gets through stage one, two, three, four, and into five. That looks past and can accept people who are different than us. People who are not like-minded, but by us being love-minded. That's the only way we're going to get there. And so here's my ask as we close this message. If you want to help us to get to be a loving community, I need you to lean in to the community. You know, maybe you've, you've kept the church and the people at a distance because you're like, I don't know about these guys. And you're probably wise to do that. But if you want to experience and if you want to express and be a part and help us build a loving community, we need you to lean in. We need you to lean in to these relationships. So what that looks like, it's up to you, but simply means, maybe it means you go out to lunch with someone from here. Someone that you don't really know. Someone who's different than you that you don't really talk to. Go out to lunch. Go out to dinner. Or if that's too hard, grab a coffee, right? Like just spend time with somebody who's different than you. That's how you lean in. Maybe it's join a small group. Uh, maybe, maybe it's engage into a small group community that and you may not know them and it might be weird and, and you don't really know, but you know that you want to build and be a part of a loving community. Lean in. That's all I'm asking for you to do. And I guarantee you, it's going to be weird. <laughs> I guarantee you, it's going to be uncomfortable. I guarantee you, you're going to be like, why am I here? What are we talking about? And you're on your phone, you're going to your notes, on your note app, you're going to write six things to talk about. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be weird. You're not going to know what to say. You're not going to know what to say. There's going to be moments of silence where you're like, cool. You're going, to, you're going to keep a water cup with you so you can drink water while you're not talking so it's not too weird. You know what I mean? That's my, that's my, that's my technique. But guys, it's okay. Awkwardness is okay. It's okay if it's weird. If it's, it's okay if it's a little uncomfortable. You know why? Because we're family. That's who we are here. And that's what we're trying to be here. So it's okay. So my ask for you, lean in to this community. Lean in into these relationships. Even if you're in stage two, stage three, if you're frustrated with people here, you're frustrated with me, and you thought I was one thing, but now you see like I'm something else, even if you're there, lean in. Lean in. And let's build a loving, a genuinely Christ-centered, loving community. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is a tall task, Lord, that you have given us to love and to have a community of sinful, broken, messed up people that have to model their community after the Godhead. That's kind of too much for us, so we need you. And so, Father, we call upon you to, to bless us now in this moment with that kind of love, the kind of love that you have for us. 
and the kind of love that you have for one another in the Godhead, Lord. Lord, I thank you, God, for, for making this example for us. But we can't do it without you. So Holy Spirit, wherever anyone is at in this time, in their relationships, God, help us, Lord, to lean into this community. Give us a heart that is humble. Work on us so that we can be more accepting of one another. Work on us so we can be more, more engaging, Lord. Work, work on us so that we can, we can not judge people or not gossip about people or we can not criticize people. Work on us, Lord. Do the work in us, Father. And let us do it within the relationship and do it within community because this is a special place, God, that you have blessed us with. This family that you have given us. And I pray, God, that you'd help us to do all we can to make this family, make this community one that is genuinely loving and modeled after you. In your name we pray.